Today's episode is brought to you by Taft Law and its Franchise Advance Program, a one-of-a-kind program developed by your host, Josh Brown, to help entrepreneurs assess, convert, and grow your business the right way through sound franchise structures. To learn more, go to taftlaw.com and type Franchise Advance Program in the search bar. If you think like, act like, or are trying to grow like a franchise, then the Franchise Euphoria podcast is for you. Hello and welcome everybody. Josh Brown here. And I created this podcast for one main goal, to help people who are trying to grow their business through franchising or franchise-like structures to do it the right way. I've been practicing law now as a franchise lawyer for many, many years, and I've seen it done the right way and the wrong way. And this podcast is not filled with a bunch of legal mumbo jumbo. Rather, I talk with real people, people who have been there, have done it, are doing it right now. And I also dive deep into specific topics related to franchising. So if this is of interest to you, you are at the right place. Enjoy. Welcome back to Franchise Euphoria. Today, I'm thrilled to have on John Briggs, who is the founder of Insight Tax, and he is the author of a book called Profit First for Micro Gyms. His theme is that the IRS sucks and business owners should keep more of their money to build long-term wealth. Well, I think, uh, John, there's a lot of us who would uh, agree with that as well. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Josh. So talk a little bit about yourself. I mean, obviously, you're a tax professional and you give advice on how people can, you know, save more money and invest, uh, maybe not invest, but save money and run their businesses uh, properly. Um, So I'm curious, give a little bit of background on you uh, and how you've kind of put yourself in this niche. Well, um, I have a master's degree in tax and... Uh, interestingly enough, my first job out of college was not in tax, even though I had some big four experience. This company did $30 million in revenue, listed 88 on Inc. 500's list, and they declared bankruptcy the same year, um, which shouldn't happen. There's that, if there's that much money, there's just mismanagement is what would lead to that. And what happened is... People lose their job, right? Just because the few handful of people who have the ability to make decisions didn't make the right ones. And so that started this awareness to me that top line revenue isn't all the end all be all. And then I did get back into my tax roots. And then I started consulting with clients. And then I came across the book Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. And so then I started consulting with clients more about that. And I saw this pattern. It didn't matter whether the company did $30 million in revenue or $30,000 in revenue. Um, Most business owners had the shiny object syndrome and focused most, if not all of their decisions on growing top line. Um, When they're missing out on the cash outflow aspect of their business. And so I'm passionate about helping entrepreneurs stay in business because statistically, the economy of the U.S. is on the back of small business, um, despite the corporate, larger corporations getting kind of all the publicity and favorable treatments. 
And so I, I just think that's best for everybody if business owners can keep their money and stay in business as long as possible. So that's kind of where the passion came from and the experience that led to wanting to help business owners understand that cash flow is not just getting more sales. Well, and I want to really focus this interview, we'll talk about other things, but on, on cash flow, as you mentioned, and, and, and growth and scale, because in the franchise world, you know, as you know, the, you, you deal with that quite often as you do in any, any business, but the number one thing that, that kills franchisees is uh, not enough capital. Second to that would be mismanaging their capital, uh, but also on the other side with franchisors, you know, it's often you know it's often thought of how are they going to grow and scale, what's the best time, and so forth, and so a lot of that ties into cash flow, cash flow management. But before we dive into that, you mentioned profit first, and and I'm familiar with Mike McCallowitz and that whole system and book. To talk a little bit about that, what is the profit first system? But now you've got a book that's profit first for micro gyms. Um, and I think he does the forward in it. So you're kind of focused on, on, on gyms there, but, but talk about that philosophy. Yeah. So with profit first, uh, the first way we have to understand it is looking at Parkinson's law. Uh, it's this rule that says, uh, the demand for something expands to match its supply. So the demand for something expands to match the supply. What, how does this apply to us as business owners? Think about our bank account as a giant pile of supply. Well, our demand to spend that is going to continue to increase until there's no more money left to spend. It's a human behavior proven over science. And the profit for system kind of says, hey, let's not try to change our human behavior. Let's just put some boundaries around our cash. Let's create a fake reality that we have less money to spend than we really do. So the idea is instead of one bank account, you have multiple bank accounts with a purpose to each one. Um, and I can go over the accounts go as this an income account. So sole purpose is to receive deposits. There's a owner's pay account. Too many business owners don't pay themselves the right amount. Um, usually not enough. So we got to make sure the cash flow management system, we're taking care of the number one employee, which is the person who started it. Profit distributions, giving yourself a quarterly distribution for your risk you're taking on as the owner. Um, savings for taxes, because you're going to be more profitable. You, it's better to set a small amount aside as you go throughout the year instead of figuring out how you're going to pay thousands of dollars in taxes by the end of the year. And then your operating expense account, which is the one that people already have right now where they're spending all their, um, paying all their bills out of that account. So instead of one account, we recommend at least the basic five. Now, when I look at my account to pay my bills, I've already pulled out the money for my taxes. I've already pulled out the money that I'm going to reward myself for investing in my business. I've already pulled out the money that I should be paying myself to have a reasonable, you know, lifestyle based on the size of my business. So I've created this, a different reality now. So that when I look at my operating expense balance, cash balance, I'll make a decision on that number instead of looking at all these other things, because 
we realize this as we talk about it, that when a dollar comes into your business, it's not all your dollar. Like you already have prior commitments. And so the profit first system kind of allows us to take advantage of those commitments in a way that we're not going to accidentally spend the money on other things. Um, I'm sure many people have gotten that scenario, right? Where you, uh, you paid some bills and then like payroll comes around it's like, Oh, where am I going to find the money for this? Well, you just well, spent it. It. I mean, it forces the, the business owner, the small business owner to really have an idea of what their expenses are and really pay attention to that because you can't really adequately set up those accounts unless you know what's going in and out of them and when that's happening. Right. And that, so the first step of the profit first methodology is doing that cash flow analysis so that you understand what is coming in and out of your business right now. And then you can adjust going forward. Yeah. I mean, do you, when you're working with um, small business owners, whether it's franchise or not, what are you hearing mostly from the owner operators? I mean, are they coming to you with tax questions? Are they coming to you with cash flow questions? Are they coming to you with growth and scale type questions? Probably all of the above. But what are you mostly, you know, when you first first meeting with somebody, what's their biggest pain point? Well, I mean, that is the benefit of having a, a good sized team now and the different services is uh, it's pretty mixed evenly a, between someone who feels the pain of overpaying in taxes, someone who's feeling the pain of like working their tail off and not feeling like they have anything to show for it in their bank account. So the cash issue. Um, and then others, there's the headache of dealing with their bookkeeping and and not being correct until they can't make good decisions. Uh, it, it is an even mix for us. Um, and the benefit though is, is whatever avenue they do come in, the other issues always come up because they do tend to correlate pretty well with each other. If, you know, if I'm worried about overpaying in my taxes, yeah, there's strategy that I might need to implement, but sometimes we'll have clients who've been with us and we've implemented everything possible and they still owe taxes. Well, if you get to the end of the year and you didn't pay for, if you didn't set aside the money, that means they used Parkinson's law because it's human behavior and they ended up spending that tax dollars on something else that likely wasn't needed for their business to grow. Uh, but the money's gone. And so now we got to figure out, okay, where do we find it? And then going forward, let's manage the cash so this doesn't happen again. Yeah, in a perfect world, I mean, you know, you would have all these set up, and I think that that's a that's a good aspirational goal. I'm curious, though, when at what point in a business cycle do you think it's 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 practical? I would say to have all this set up because you and I both know, you know, when you're starting a business and you're just kind of, you know, you're running around in multiple directions and you're trying to do a lot of different things at once. But in particular, in a franchise system, for example, where you got a franchisee. And they come in, they're opening up a system under a franchisor's playbook, but they've still got to get it up and going. And there's going to be a period of time where, you know, there's going to be a lag in cash coming in. And then, it, you know, there ideally would be some sort of a runway period where you're going to go from opening the doors to where you start getting into a little bit of a rhythm where you can understand what the cash flow may or may not look like each month. In and out. I mean, is that at what point in time should somebody really be starting about thinking about setting up this sort of cash management system? 
So even with all those very valid points, Josh, um, now is always the time to think about implementing a cash flow system. Um, it, it just it will look a little bit different in a startup stage of buying a franchise, um, which is often why most franchises kind of have that requirement that uh, they have X amount of cash liquid, knowing it's going to take them a certain amount of time to get up to speed where the revenue is covering the operating expenses. But even during that stage of a lot of cash outflow, building the foundation, getting consistent revenue in, whatever that looks like for the franchise that is being purchased, we still want them thinking about cash flow management because without it, what happens is our expenses without boundaries, expenses will always increase at the same pace, if not faster than our income. And while obviously the franchise models are great because it's a proven system, that tendency is still there. And without a system in place, they're going to get into a scenario where maybe they are incurring expenses that weren't necessarily part of the franchise playbook and aren't actually helping them get clients or keep clients. So we think always it's a good idea to have this on your mind. And why we love Profit First is it is more of a set of guidelines than it is a stringent checklist. And so we want people to have the mindset of let's use these guidelines and use it within how my business is currently operating at the current life cycle it is, whether I'm startup or mature type of scenario. So you've got a real focus on gyms, right? We do have uh, more gym clients than any other accounting firm in the country. Yeah, that's awesome. So, how did you gyms, fitness center? I mean, all those related, you know, businesses, just different names. How did you pick that niche? So, it actually goes back to another book that Mike McAllister wrote called "The Pumpkin Plan." I remember uh, that book too. I read both of these. Yeah, yeah. So, the, this quick gist of Pumpkin Plan is he found that the farmers who grow thousand pound pumpkins, the methodology they use to grow a giant pumpkin is the same methodology businesses can use to niche and effectively grow a big pumpkin, uh, revenue pumpkin in the, in a niche. And most of Mike McCallum's books, if people aren't familiar with him, look him up. He's got uh, seven or eight books at this point. He provides such really like really practical step-by-step tools that are always actionable. And so one of those steps of the pumpkin plan involved looking at your client base and saying, who's a good client? Who do I enjoy talking to? Who's paying a good amount where I feel like it's fair exchange of value? Uh, and so I did those exercises and we realized at the time, it's like, wow, I have about 20 clients who are gym owners. I like working with them because they know they don't know. So they're very teachable. Um, it just so happens that Profit First, the a lot of it uh, follows diet principles. <laughs> so they already understand that. And uh, yeah, so I did the pumpkin plan and we had this nice little group of gym owners. And we thought, why don't we just start marketing towards those guys? Now, even though we have more gym clients than any other, any other firm in the country, we still, they only represent about 16% of our total clients which is just another, I think, validation that some people have that fear if I'm going to niche down that I'm now excluding myself. The reality is niching down 
makes your marketing message tighter, which will still resonate with a lot of other people. Yeah, I'm a big fan of of niching down. Uh, it's how I built my practice uh, completely. You know, when I started on nearly almost 18 years ago, and really just kind of decided, hey, you know, I just don't want to be another small business lawyer. I want to, I want to have some sort of a niche. You know, what I mean, some sort of a some sort of an area that that people can 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 draw on, can be specific. And so that's why when, when I started thinking about franchising, and it's been it's been fantastic. So there's 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 no uh, there's no argument on my end that that certainly, and because I would much rather go a mile deep and an inch wide than a mile wide and an inch deep. I think it's. I think in this day and age, not just in the legal world where I am, but also in the business world, it's just hard to kind of be a jack of all trades. I mean, you've got to have a little of that in anything you do, but um, really I think the value is when you can provide that in-depth knowledge in a particular area as opposed to knowing a little bit about a lot of things. Totally agree. Yeah, and that's, and you find this too probably with your services um, – you know, when, when we get a fitness professional that comes to us, we, we probably know some of the issues that they don't even realize that they're having just because we're so, we're so experienced in dealing with so many gym owners and, um, you know, the fitness professionals. So, I mean, when you get these, whether let's take a gym owner as an example here, and they approach you and, you know, my guess is they're probably either in a challenging situation or at least there's been something that has triggered them to think, okay, I've got to do something different or there might be a better way. What are some, what are some suggestions or tips or ideas that you provide to them when they're feeling sort of that overwhelmed sense of, oh my gosh, how am I going to manage all of this? I don't know if I'm doing this right. I'm probably miss spending my money. I'm probably not capturing all the tax breaks I can capture. I'm not managing this thing right. I mean, how do you how do you get your head around all that and, and help them? Yeah, so for gym owners and really any company that's service-based, um, your team is going to be one of your largest expenses. And that certainly is the case with gym owners. Um, so a lot of times, you know, if they're in a tight fit, they potentially are overstaffed or their staff it and or their staff isn't producing or providing the value compared to what their cost is. So looking at, you know, what am I paying them versus what is the revenue benefit coming in, whether that's revenue in or expenses saved, um, there needs to be some sort of multiple on that. Meaning like, let's say my monthly cost is $20,000 for team that means as a company, I probably need at least $50,000 of revenue or time savings as a direct result of the work that that $20,000 is paying for. That's a big one because uh, it is one of the top two expenses for a gym owner. Uh, the next one for gym owners is, is their rent is their other large expense. And sometimes they're not utilizing their floor space effectively Maybe their class sizes isn't as big as it could be, or they could sublease some spot based on what they want to do. So many people, whether, and this applies to franchise people as well. Like, man, have an attorney review any sort of lease agreement you're getting into with your space before you sign the thing. So many bad deals out there. And it's, I don't want to. It's really hard to get out of. 
they're almost impossible to get out of. Um, and I don't want to throw landlords under the bus because I, I don't think they're actually intentionally doing it. They don't know any better either. And so usually attorneys represent their client. And so they're like, you know this, right? Like you're going to represent the client to the best of their ability. And then, then negotiations happen. But sometimes business owners don't realize you can talk about the lease agreement and there can be negotiations, which is why someone like you probably is really valuable. Um, but those are the, those are some big areas. And then the general things that happen, whether they're gym owners or not, we want to look at expenses. Um, we, as business owners, it's so easy to make a decision that I'm going to spend money. Then my mind, then after I make the commitment to spend the money, that's when I find ways to justify it. Um, and so we like putting a filter on that so that we're looking at expenses from a very simple lens. Does it help me get clients or does it help me keep clients? And if I can't positively say yes to either of those questions, then I need to think long and hard about that expense. If I use that filter, I'm going to help eliminate some of the fat expense fat that I've added, or it's going to help me not even commit or, or get myself in a situation in the first place. I like that. that I'm going to repeat that. I mean, if it doesn't help you get clients or keep clients, um, then what are you spending the money on? Right. I mean, what is it? Is it really a necessary expense? Exactly. Yeah, that's 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 real simple and good, and and I think valuable. You know, John, I know one of the things that you do is you also are on a mission to try to help entrepreneurs um, better their work life balance. I think. I think it's a misnomer that entrepreneurs have a work-life balance because I certainly know it's very, very hard to do that. But um, part of what you do and through these programs and through your book and, and the support and and services that you provide is trying to help people actually, you know, take back some of their time, as they say, and really kind of help them avoid burning out, which is a common problem with business owners. Talk a little bit about that and what you do and, and, and why that's become part of sort of, you know, your mission and, and what you try to help folks with. Yeah. So I actually have a book coming out January. It's the third Monday. I think it's the 15th or 17th. I, anyways, it's called the 3.3 rule and it is completely focused on the systems that we use that I've learned over the course of my career on how to avoid burnout. The idea, the simple idea is our current structure of Monday through Friday, eight hours a day is not based on science. It's, it's just based on the way things have been done in the past, but science shows that um, the average employee works two hours and 57 minutes a day. And our attention span, it, there's, it's not an attention span. We are always, our attention is always on something, but we can't focus on the same thing for more than three hours um, without a significant decrease in productivity. There's, there's a study out of the University of Illinois um, by a guy named Alejandro Gieras, and he read a study about how physically we physically and visibly, if we have a physical sensation or I'm staring at the same thing, our minds will actually eliminate that 
if it's a constant stimulant. So think about the clothes that you're wearing. Up until this moment, you probably weren't thinking about it, but now you can feel the pressure of it. If you move and wiggle a little bit, you can feel the friction. Because it's a constant stimulus in our mind, we don't think about it on a daily basis because it's just, we're wearing clothes. The same thing, crazy enough, if I stare at the same image, my mind will eventually eliminate that thing from my vision and it doesn't register my brain anymore. So this guy's like, I wonder if if the same thing happens with attention. So he did a study and sure enough, he found out that uh, it's the exact same scenario. So the idea is the most efficient work day is to work up to three hours at a time, followed by a 30% recovery period. So if I worked for three hours, I would take a whole hour off of doing nothing so that my brain can change its attention and focus onto something not business related. That simple structure to the day. So maybe I want to work an hour and a half. So I take 30 minutes off 3.3, right? Up to three hours on and however long I worked 30% off. That helps us stay focused during the day, helps us avoid burnout. Um, And then the other caveat with burnout is if you're not paying yourself enough as a business owner, you eventually will hit a brick wall and realize your efforts. You don't feel like you're getting anything out of your efforts. Um, And so you will, you get burnt out. You close down the business because you're like, why? I, I can make more money doing something else you know, and provide for my family than all the stress that comes on with the business. So those are the two things that we focus on is uh, with avoiding burnout. Let's, let's get some stuff, some structure into place so that we're focused and efficient during the day, giving ourselves adequate breaks throughout and then uh, making sure we're paying ourselves a reasonable amount. Well, along those lines, I mean, when when business owners are looking to grow and scale their businesses, and I'm one of those believers that, Businesses do not stay static. You know, they're they're either growing in some capacity, uh, or they're not growing. They're they're dying in some capacity. I mean, they're very it, things just don't stay static for very long. But you know, often a question that I get in the franchise realm is, you know, when is a good time to think about growth um, and how to set that up. And in particular here, when I say growth, what I mean is another location. So let's presume that you've got a one retail location. When is it time to think about a second one to add to it? You know, what's the, what's the sort of cash flow inquiry analysis um, and anything else that, that kind of goes into it for, for an operator to be thinking along those lines? Yeah. Great question. I, for gym owners specifically, I see this and I've seen it play out with other um, non-fitness businesses, but they tend to want to expand quicker than they need to or should because their thought is, oh, this one location is doing X amount. Now that I have a second location, I'll double it. Um, What we forget to think about are the costs to open up the new location. We forget that That's extra burden, whether that's uh, more employees. So now I got to manage more people, another lease, (laughs) all the stuff that goes with like, it's a step up cost. So when it comes to thinking about growth, you want to do an analysis to figure out what is getting into that new location going to cost? Is there a build out? Is, is the tenant 
or the owner, is the landlord going to cover that build out or I'm just going to like have a larger lease or do I need to pay for it out of pocket? Um, am I, sometimes it's, I want to move to a larger location. So it's, they, it's a way to think about it. It's a second location because now you have one location, but it's twice as big in either, either scenario. You got to do that analysis. What is my large chunk of expense that I'm going to take on? So I have that in the back of my mind. And then I look at what is my free flowing cash flow out of my first location? Um, if I, if like a bad month happens, am I still going to be positive cash flow? Like how close am I currently operating to the line of break even? And how consistently have I been over that line? Because sometimes I had a really good month, but the previous six were a little, you know, sketchy. One good month doesn't mean I should now go out and open up a second location. I want a consistent past performance that lets me know, okay, even in a bad month, I'm going to have extra cash flow because that I still need to pay myself because if not, I'm going to get burned out. Will the extra cash flow then allow me to cover some of these expenses in the new location before it's up and running? Um, because like, while you have a proven plan and your first location might be going well, you still got to build up a second location. How long did it take to get to pass break even on your first location? Maybe it can happen faster, but you know, uh, maybe I might not consider that. I would probably use if it took me three months to get up to speed in my first location, let's count on three months in the second location so that I have a three month runway of potential cash. So then with all those things, maybe with the profit first system, I start setting aside a percentage into my expansion bucket, I would literally create a new bank account. I'd call it expansion and I'd save some money there so that I am now getting myself ready um, to open that second location. Of course you could get a loan. Um, but then again, you want to make sure that you can service the loan and make, make the minimum payments. Yeah. I think there's a lot that goes into it as well. And I, I think that it's always wise for uh, an entrepreneur or a business owner to be thinking about how have they maximized that space that they're in, like truly maximized it. In other words, even if they're even if they're busy and ideally they're making, you know, good profits and they're making they've got good revenue coming in and they've got good amounts left over at the end of each month, really taking a market analysis too and taking a look at, well, could we be doing even better at this one location? Because, of course, if you can maximize that, that's the best way to go. I mean, you know, it's it's much easier to get more clients and more revenue from that one location than it is when you start looking at a second location. But when you totally yeah you know i mean it's, it's like it's like the old adage it's much easier to get more work from the clients you already have than going out and getting new ones well you kind of take that to this it's it's much easier to get new clients from the location you're already in that people have presumably come by um and people know you're there as opposed to, you know, then you go open up a second location. I'm all for expanding and opening up more locations for a variety of reasons. In fact, I'm all for having multiple locations open before you decide to franchise. Um, that's a little bit of a separate conversation. But the idea being here is that, you know, making sure that you've really maximized that location from the perspective of, you know, how many more people could you have, especially in a gym, right, John? I mean, because the thing about a gym is you get those memberships, you get those subscriptions, 
And a whole lot of people come at certain times a year, but it's not like everybody's coming every day. Totally. Um, I mean, I, to go with what you said, though, uh, maybe that's the first question people should ask themselves. Oh, I'm thinking about a second location. Have I fully maximized the efficiency and profitability of my current location? And let yourself be creative because, yeah, with gyms, I mean, I the gym I used to go to before I bought it, um, that was one of the things like, I'm going to buy this gym because I want to understand my clients better. But they had one class out of their 12 classes that was over capacity, meaning they had a waiting list and not everyone could get in based on the floor space. Well, because one of the 12 was over capacity, they're like, we should, we need a new space. First, they went from 2,000 square feet to 7,000 square feet. And they negotiated six months of free rent. Guess when they sold it? When their free, when their six months of free rent was up. Cause they're like, we can't afford this new space. Uh, oh man. Instead of just saying like, yeah, sorry, you can't fit in this one, but here are the other class times that we have. Um, like it, it would have been better for them to lose the revenue on those four people who are waitlisted who they're like, well, I, I'm just going to cancel than it was to do what they did. Uh, I mean, to me, it's even like with the gym, it seems pretty, it seems even, it seems really straightforward. It's like, look, if, if every day the people who want to come to that gym can't get in because, you know, there's too many people in there on the, on the machines or the weights and they're having to wait a long time. And that consistently happens over, you know, a period of time then maybe you, you want to look at having another option, right? Because that, that would tell me that, yeah, you're, you're being, you, you don't want people who are belonging to a gym to have to wait. Now, it, in a restaurant, it might be a little bit different. You know, I mean, there, there's something to the idea in a restaurant of, it's it kind of, if you've got a little bit of a wait, that's kind of what you want because it kind of, from a perception standpoint, it leads to a perception of, oh, this place is good. People are trying to get in here. They have a little bit of a wait as opposed to half the place is empty. Um, and so, but with the, but so you just, it depends on the business. I don't think there's a one, one answer, but you're right. I mean, you know, people, if you've got, if you've got one class and it's overfilled, but you've got 11 others and they're not, well, maybe you have the right wrong offerings for those 11 others, but you got to really make sure that that demand is maximized before you go get yourself into another, into another long-term lease. For you sure. Because also depending on how close you want to open up the second location or are thinking about it, you could cannibalize some of your clients from the current location. Um, we had, I have dental practices did that and they at least took that into consideration. They're like, okay, this percentage of the clients in this location live closer to the new location. So we're going to lose that revenue here. Um, you know, so they, they were very thoughtful about it. And to your point about food places, there's a really popular Mexican restaurant, downtown Salt Lake. They were, there was long waiting lines for years before they opened up their second location um, because they wanted to make sure it was something that was consistent. And now both locations uh, usually have a really long waiting list. So they did it the right way. Um, but I, I, I love the, your mindset on it. Let's, let's maximize everything in the one location before we start building in all these new expenses that now we have to have new revenue to cover just because we have another location. 
Well, John, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I feel like I could talk to you for for another thirty minutes or so, but uh, I know we both got to get back to get back to our day. Um, if anybody wants to learn more about Insight Tax and accounting, you can go to insighttax.com. You can also, if you want to learn about the book uh, and get a copy of that, you can go to Profit First. I'm sorry, yeah, Profit First for microgyms.com. Profit first for microgyms.com. You can also find John on all the social media, either through Insight Tax or through his name, John Briggs. And you can email John at, at john at insighttax.com, and that's John with an H, J-O-H-N. So did I leave anything out there, John? Nope, very thorough. Thanks, Josh. Well, listen, I really enjoy what you're doing. I love the niche. Um, I like the profit-first mentality. If for anything, it just gets in the business owner in the right mindset to be thinking about it. And, and for me, that seems to be half the battle, or maybe even more than half the battle, is when you start focusing on those sorts of things, it's amazing how things can get better for your business. So keep up the great work, John. And uh, I look uh, that when, you, when your next book comes out in January, uh, reach back out and we'll get you back on. Sounds great. Thanks, Josh. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Franchise Euphoria. If you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. It really helps to get this show out to more and more people. Also, if you have any questions, have ideas for guests or topics, please email me, josh at IndieFranchiseLaw.com. That's josh at IndieFranchiseLaw.com. And finally, please note that this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes and is not in any way, shape, or form meant to be any kind of legal advice. If you're seeking legal advice, please contact a lawyer. Have a great one. Happy franchising.